When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. This week, we look at Tyrion's first POV chapter in A Clash of Kings. With me to discuss it is Podrick McCarran. Podrick is a mathematician at the University of Limerick, and I discovered him because of a quantitative study he did on the relationships and social networks and all of the characters in A Song of Ice and Fire, which I found fascinating. And then when I ended up talking with Podrick, I found that he's kind of also a super fan of the books. So I was excited to bring him back on to discuss Tyrion. After that, I include a short conversation with my friend Arthur Jamfa about House of the Dragon. If you're curious about what Steve and I are up to, we just did a film review of the new Krager film Barbarian, which is out on HBO Max. If you like horror films that attempt a little bit of political commentary, this one, I think, does it better than most. It's super scary. It's genuinely funny at times. So that's Barbarian. It's over on our podcast, Cocoons of Horror. All right, without further ado, here is my favorite Irish mathematician, Podrick McCarran. So I'm just curious, your history, Podrick, with A Clash of Kings. I read A Clash of Kings in probably 2010 or 2011. So I got into A Song of Ice and Fire when I started my PhD in 2010. Uh-huh. And then I think I bought it before the TV show came out, but I think I didn't read A Clash of Kings until after watching Game of Thrones. So it's probably mid-2011 when I would have read it. Now, so the second book of a series is sort of like the test of... I think your love for the story, right? Because I think that you could, if you read the first book of a series, you could easily say, that was good. I think I'm, you know, I think I'll move on to other things. Mm. But for me, I almost needed to start Clash immediately after I ended the first book. Yeah, I think I would have been the same when I probably, once... I think I wanted to, I couldn't wait once I finished the last Daenerys chapter. I was uh-huh. like, I need to find out what happens next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. All right. So so this is a, you know, this is sort of a a good time in your life. You're, you're, you're starting your PhD work and you still care about things like mathematics <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> and you know the world the world is is that is before you uh mm. you know, like, like a like a smorgasbord and you, you're taking a little bit of time uh, out, of, out of your busy schedule um are you married yet at this point 
No, I hadn't even. I met my now wife in twenty. I should know this. Twenty uh, fifteen, I think. Maybe twenty sixteen. Okay. One of those All two. Right. Yeah. So you're still a man about town. You're still visiting the broken anvil every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and you're taking time out of your busy schedule to like sit down and and read this fantasy novel. So, uh, yeah, I I'm just curious, who is Podrick McCarran in 2011? He's quite a different man, I would say. Um <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much history he wants about myself, but uh so I'm as you know, I'm from Ireland, but I moved to Coventry for my PhD and I moved and I didn't actually know anyone. So, I wasn't there that long. At the time, so I wouldn't have had too many. And where's Coventry? Just uh... Coventry is like in the centre of England. It's about half an hour from Birmingham, maybe an okay. hour on the train to London. Sure. Um, so it's it's in the Midlands in England, and it was historically uh, bombed very heavily by the Germans in World War Two because mm. there was a lot of industry there, and it's one of the cities that sort of unfortunately never really recovered that well. Um, it was an old medieval town as well. There's one street that still has that sort of medieval set architecture. Mm. Um, but then the rest of the town just became some kind of like concrete jungle, I suppose. And they use the symbol of the phoenix a lot because, you know, rising out of the ashes. At that point in my life, I was very a lot more conservative and risk averse than I am now. <laughs> I didn't drink, for example. Um, I didn't do any sports, really. Uh, now I do like running a lot. And I guess when I'm not minding a baby, I... Probably I'm drinking a fair bit, not as much as maybe Tyrion Lannister. Aha, uh-huh, aha. Uh-huh. So you you were not visiting the Broken Anvil. I, I was not, or if I was, it was in a very, uh, it was in a state that I would remember every event. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right then. Uh, let's talk about this chapter. I kind of feel like with this chapter, we're almost seeing Tyrion step into the Ned role in a couple ways. Mm. Because... Ned was really our eyes and ears in King's Landing in the first book. Yeah. And we had a few other, you know, we had a few other eyes and ears. You know, Sansa had some POV chapters in that first book. and But for the most part, we're seeing the capital through the eyes of Ned Stark. And so now, you know, third chapter of this book, we're starting to see Tyrion not only take on the role of Hand of the King like Ned did, but for the very first time, we're seeing Ned in the capital. Or, sorry, we're seeing Tyrion in the capital. Yeah. And, of course, he's got to navigate all of the, the weird and varied personalities of the small council and, you know, cajole the captain of the guard to do what he wants, even though the king has the real power. and He's got to exchange riddles with Varys and whatnot. And uh, this was very much Ned. This was a Ned chapter in the first book. And now Tyrion's occupying this place. Uh, It's very interesting how we always, people, especially online or when I chat about it, always call Ned very politically naive. And uh, you see a lot of criticism for Ned's behavior or, you know, maybe lack of political savvy in Mm -hmm. King's Landing. I'm very, I'm quite defensive of Ned. I'm one of these uh, Ned Stark apologists, I suppose. <laughs> um, I think, you know, uh, he, uh, people, I suppose, often didn't feel threatened by him because they knew where he stood. And uh, they knew he was a man of honor and they knew who'd do what he thought was the right thing. Uh-huh. So it's very interesting then seeing Tyrion come in, who's a character we know quite well at this point and who we know will do what he thinks is right for sure. But his morals are quite different to that of Ned Stark's. Yes. 
yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, not only are we seeing King's Landing this time from Tyrion's point of view in previous times to, through Ned's, but now we're also seeing Tyrion in the exact same role. And when Tower of the Hand is mentioned, Ned is mentioned a lot, and they both have the small council, which has a lot of the same people. Yeah, that's right. And I think naively you're assuming that or not even naively, I think a lot of people assume that Tyrion is going to be a lot better hand and do a lot better job. Yeah. But I don't I don't think Ned did a bad job of the hand. Um and I thought it was interesting how in both cases Tyrion and Ned kind of come in distrusting Varys and he quickly becomes their only ally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Well, and I don't, let, let let me press you a little bit on this. So do, do Ned and Tyrion really have different approaches to morality? It seems like by the end of this chapter, Tyrion genuinely wants to see justice done. And isn't that what Ned was after? And, you know, Tyrion wants to advance the, you know, the well-being of his family, um, almost despite his family at times. Isn't that, couldn't you kind of say something similar about Ned you know, he wants the well-being of his family, even if Kat's making poor decisions on the road. Are they really that different? I mean, it's, it does depend, I suppose, on how you define morality. And I think that's something you would be much more of an expert on than I would. I would say key differences is Ned's morality would involve things like, or would not involve things like brothels and having prostitutes. And sure. Tyrion's whole thing is having every single chapter since the end of Game of Thrones, he thinks about Jay and how he can, you know, keep on keep her around, keep her happy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So in that sense, their morals are quite different. Also, you mentioned like Ned wanting to protect his family, but Tyrion's relationship with his family is very different. I mean, yeah. he he does want to do his father proud, but he hates him and resents him. He really doesn't care what about Cersei he just wants her to not mess things up right and if he could probably get her and Joffrey to have lower status that would uh, be something he would would benefit him yeah. so they certainly in terms of justice and wanting the best for the city and as people I agree that they'd be similar in that sense but in terms of their own values they're quite different yeah I think that he wants his family on top I think that he'd be perfectly happy if the Lannisters were you know the power of the kingdom. I think the difference here is that maybe, you know, Tyrion's in a one-down position. He's not the eldest son. In fact, Ned almost sits in the Tywin position for his house, right? Hmm. Tyrion hasn't even sniffed that, and yet he's got the power of the hand of the king at this point. And his job in King's Landing is to rule the kingdom, but I think Tywin wants Tyrion... To put family first. And I think all the rest of these folks would be like, nope, you're going to do everything that is possible to make the Lannisters chief among families in the kingdom. And that's the primary goal. I, th- I really think that Tyrion's thinking, well, I'll do that. But I actually do care about the kingdom. I, I actually care about what's happening in the, lo- you know, for the the small folk who are starving in the streets and things like that. I actually do want to figure out how to trade hostages and avert war. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I kind of do feel like that you're right. Tyrion and Ned are different in a few ways, 
but they share a couple things in common. Yeah, they're definitely both, at this point especially, they're both characters you root for a lot. There are certain characters you never really root for, like some people maybe, but in general, you don't want Cersei to do well. Um, and <laughs> You don't want Joffrey to do well. You don't want Joffrey coming out on top. And, you know, at, at shortly after this or at some point soon, you won't want Theon doing well, for example. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, whereas I think Ned and Tyrion are probably two of the more likable kind of older characters. And uh-huh. by older, I mean like the Stark children are kind of the characters who are developing and learning yeah. and improving, whereas Tyrion and Ned are characters who you're not expecting them to have massive character growth, which it actually turns out they will, but um, both of them. But you wouldn't expect it of that character. They're not okay. like a, a new kind of uh, a child forming their view of the world and their understanding of the world and becoming a more important character. Okay. So you're a Ned apologist, and I have, I've slipped into Ned apology from time to time myself. Let me throw this idea at you, and then I'll read my synopsis. What would you say to the to the idea that Ned's actually a pretty good politician in the North? Like he he knows he knows Northern politics. He's actually a pretty good Lord of Winterfell. Um, he knows which lords to pet and which lords to bristle at in order to get what is best for the North. As soon as you transplant him to the South, he's inept. He does not do well with Southern politics. I wouldn't fully agree with that second part of the statement. I, don't, I think Ned did a fairly good job. Right. You have to remember he came in with no allies and told that Peter Baelish would be his ally because <laughs> him and Kat had a fairly good right. uh, you know, past relationship. And he came in believing that. Yeah. He still did a fairly good job as a hand and managing the kingdom. So he yeah. wasn't a bad politician. He allied himself with Peter Baelish, which was unfortunately a bad move. But he came to use, well, maybe use the wrong word, but he came to have some kind of respect for Varys and understand how Varys could be useful. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he was a bad politician. He just, I think he was unlucky mostly by having Joffrey as a mad king and having Littlefinger as his, what he thought was his ally. I don't think that makes him a bad politician. That's interesting. So he doesn't have Joffrey as a king. He has Robert as a king, right? Well, until the very end when things go very bad for him, right? I mean, <laughs> sure, when yeah, yeah. when Robert is a king, I think uh, when Robert was king, I think he was doing a good job and I don't think he was uh-huh. seen as a particular threat. I think it was as soon as Robert was removed and then he, you know, did the honorable thing by refusing Renly. Uh-huh. And then he, maybe, I guess, when he decided that he was going to go on the crusade of giving it to Stannis and not recognizing Joffrey, that was a dangerous move. And that could be maybe politically unsavvy. Uh-huh. But even after this and the decisions he made, I've said before that I think every time Ned lies, something goes catastrophically wrong for him. <laughs> That's right. It's true. And, yeah, you mentioned that to me before. I I do think that... Well, go ahead and finish your thoughts there. And I think like he chose Varys' lie, which, again, was a politically decent move. Him going to the wall would have made a lot of sense. And uh-huh. it was, I think, even we discover in Tyrion 
and Cersei's discussion that they also thought this was the right thing to do. It was just Joffrey's whim that yeah, everyone this. thought that was the right thing to do, except for Joffrey, right? Yeah, so it was that. That's not Ned being a bad politician that got him killed. That's having a tyrant as your king. Sure. Yeah. So the whimsy of Joffrey, which it was unpredictable, right? He ran into a buzzsaw, basically. Yeah. There is one moment in this chapter where Tyrion presses Cersei and says, "Do you trust Varys?" And she says, "I trust no one." And I think that Cersei's taken the right view on this and i think that in this way ned is a bit naive he thinks he can trust littlefinger he he's looking for an ally he knows he needs an ally what cersei and Tyrion both know is that you don't really have any allies you might ally with someone because you think that they can be useful for a while um, and I think that Ned does this with Varys for a, a small portion of the first book. But to tr- actually trust Littlefinger is actually quite naive. To trust Littlefinger is quite naive. But I, again, I don't think... I, so they've got very different motivations. Cersei doesn't trust anyone because Cersei wants to be queen. Tyrion, as you said, wants Lannister is on top. Yeah, Littlefinger has his own agenda, which possibly involves him having even more power. Varys, nobody knows what his agenda is. He claims for the realm. It's very <laughs> unlikely that's what it is. Okay. They all have their own motivations. Yeah. Ned does not want to be king. Ned does not really want one of his children no, to be king right. or queen. So in that case, he's he got different motivation. He doesn't have this. He doesn't need to have this lack of trust because he's not trying to go up in the Game of Thrones. He wants to be at the level he is, has to serve at and do his duty. Interesting. So I think him trusting people is okay because he's not looking to further himself. He's not like actually very political. He just wants to do what's good for the realm. Well, you and I agree on one thing for sure. We agree that Ned is usually gets a bad rap. <laughs> Fans of Game of Thrones tend to loathe characters who are too stupid to play the game. Mm. And I think Ned has sort of become the the chief lightning rod for that, and I and I think it's undeserved. I, I think yeah. that um, I think a few things happened to Ned that he, that no one, no matter how smart they were, could have avoided. So at least we, ag- I think we agree on that part. At least mm. let me let me read the synopsis of this chapter, and we'll. we'll I, I want to talk a little bit more about Varys, but. Uh, We should probably talk about Tyrion first. Tyrion navigates his way past the garden, enters the small council. He informs Cersei, Pycelle, Varys, and Littlefinger that he will be acting Hand of the King. Cersei complains, and soon the two siblings are alone at Tyrion's request. Tyrion promises his sister an unharmed Jaime in exchange for Cersei's support. Then he learns about the key points of intrigue in King's Landing from Robert's death to the present. Cersei slaps him several times, but he leaves the room with her reluctant support. After a brief exchange with Lannister Captain, he arrives at the Broken Anvil, where he intends to meet Shay. But Varys is waiting for him there. The spider exchanges veiled threats, and leaves him with a riddle about power. Three great men sit in a room, 
a king, a priest, and a rich man. Between them stands a common sellsword. Each great man bids the sellsword kill the other two. Who lives, who dies. Then Tyrion and Shay head upstairs for some dubious lovemaking. Podrick McCarran, I've asked you to come up with a observation and a question. Yeah. What do you bring to the table today? My observation is that Cersei effectively admits she can't control Joffrey. Yeah. When her and Tyrion talk, she mentions how that she did not want Ned's execution and the <laughs> results yep. of this was because of that. And uh, she basically... It doesn't quite admit she can't control Joffrey, but it's starting to look like maybe she can't control Joffrey. And she doesn't believe anyone can, or especially Tyrion, but she's actually almost becomes willing to let Tyrion try. She sort of almost accepts she, him. Yeah, she, abs- she never really does. She, yeah. she absolutely does. Now, she has been doing a few things around the kingdom it's not like she's been idle but she's been having people fortify walls and make wildfire and you know uh, you know builds catapults and whatnot she has control of everything but the king (laughs) (laughs) well i wouldn't say everything because when Tyrion leaves he notices how there's nothing in the market and there's basically no food fresh rats is a Right. One of the few things which is better than right. stale rats. So she's fortifying it. She's getting prepared for a siege, but she's forgotten the most essential thing in a siege, which is food. But there's also an, an additional part of that, and I think it does stem from Joffrey's cruelty. And that is that during a siege, you don't want the people in the city to turn against you. Hmm. I mean, the food's important, but the food gets you something politically. I think that the food wins you loyalty from the people in this city. Um, because at some point, this thing could turn, and the question is, where, the, where is the people's loyalty? Because if they decide to riot, that helps the people outside the city, right? I suppose we're maybe jumping the gun a bit here. We know there's a siege coming because we've read it before. But (laughs) (laughs) at this point, maybe they're not actually preparing for a siege. There's a war going on. It's only quite recently that Jaime has been taken and the Lannisters lost heavily in the Riverlands. Yes. And Stannis hasn't announced anything yet, so they don't know if he's siding it readily or not. That's all true. So maybe they're not actually expecting a siege. Maybe they're just expecting a battle. Well, I'll say this. Cersei is worried about a siege, and I think she's worried. I mean, that's the whole reason she, quote-unquote, commands her father to come to the city with his army. Mm. She's worried that Renly will attack the city, and she knows that Renly has a, a massive army and will overpower the city if he chooses to attack, and that is why she's preparing the walls for fortification. She's having catapults built and stuff. So you're right, and maybe this is unwarranted at this point. Maybe she's overly concerned, but it does motivate her, right? It it motivates her to make a certain amount of moves politically in anticipation for a siege that eventually happens. Yes, from a different brother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. So I guess my point is this, I think during siege warfare, you know, sometimes it's like battering rams and whatnot, but a lot of the times it's just this dull waiting game. 
Yes. And you just have this massive army outside of the gates and they just they just circle the city and they don't let any food come in and they wait for the people inside to starve with the hope that the people overthrow the power to get the food. Yeah, which is exactly what they always mentioned with Stannis and Davos. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And stemming from Cersei's cruelty, I do believe that both Joffrey and Cersei are stupid not to have the people well fed. Yeah, agreed. And especially when it seems like there's definitely food coming in and there's definitely good food in the Red Keep. So to not have in the city does seem poor. Oh, yeah. There's no way Cersei's going to not have plenty of food and wine available. Yeah. So that does seem quite naive when she's preparing things. The things she is preparing are things like armor, weapons, wildfire. And she's getting people working on the defenses as well. So, Uh in fact, I think she's told she's doubled or tripled the city watch and the craftsmen working on the defenses so right and then and how do they pay for this well vilar says something like well they're taxing the people who want to come into the city you know these pilgrims that are heading to the city are basically giving up their life savings on their way into the city and once they're inside the city they've got no way to feed their family they don't have food they don't have money and this leads to people skewering and roasting rats. And, se- and you've got these rat sellers. And people yeah. actually buying rats to eat. I would say refugees more so than pilgrims, uh, which is even right. more, yeah. uh, which is worse when, we just, when they are being taxed to come in. And they are going in expecting sanctuary. And yeah. well, they'll get walls for a few days and then that's it. Um, so, and the, he attributes this tax to Littlefinger and yes. Tyrion makes note of the cruelty or something like this. sees some comments or some thought about how cruel uh-huh. Littlefinger uh-huh. is for doing this. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
At one point in this chapter, he's he's pressing Cersei for information, like why was Ned killed, and what was the plan. And he said, and then he asks how Robert was killed, and Cersei, I think, gives an honest answer. What she says is, he killed himself. We we made sure that the wine was super strong. It was stronger than usual because we knew he'd keep asking for it. All he had to do was stop drinking wine, and he wouldn't have been killed by the boar. Um, I think that she, this is sort of a rare moment of someone confessing to murder. You know, murder by, like... Manslaughter. Man, Yeah, sure, manslaughter. Yeah, I agree. She, I thought that too. I thought she was being honest, and it was obviously intentional to get him as drunk as possible, so he wouldn't be in his uh, his quickest um, right so i think we do get a, a reveal we we know that lancel was sort of in the in the plot so i think i think we could probably believe her in this chat yeah i think that's true all right i want to talk a little bit about Tyrion and barris yes how far can we go are we sticking with this just this chapter <laughs> uh well no let's let's i mean we'll, let's just assume that people have read ahead okay. um let, let's talk about this um so Varys decides that what he's going to do is secretly go to the Broken Anvil and, without saying much, reveal to Tyrion that he knows Tyrion's weakness, right? He knows where Shay is. Mm. Is this a smart move on his part? On Varys's part? Because he, he's risking making an enemy with Tyrion. I think Varys is establishing himself very quickly as I know everything. He points out that yeah. they were watching them from the Gate of the Gods. Do you see the eyes on the statue? Um, so I think he wants to let Tyrion know, not that he knows his weakness exactly, but just that don't think you can hide anything from me. Right. and But he doesn't have to. What he could do, with, because he's got information, he shares that information with Tyrion. He's got information that Shay exists, and I know where Shay's located. He could keep Tyrion in the dark and go directly to Cersei. Or he could go directly to Joffrey. He's almost playing the part of the sellsword in this in this particular way. He's decided, I think I'm going to go and tell this information to Tyrion. And it's it's almost like a threat, but it's almost like, I'm curious to see what he'll do. Once I reveal this to him. Uh, well, I have a few more things puzzled me about this. So in the last Tyrion chapter in Game of Thrones, Tywin tells him he can't bring his whore to court. Yeah, right. So he brings Shay to King's Landing. But, uh-huh. And that's it. And he, sa- he thinks to himself, that's as much as he'll... Uh, violate his father's request. Yeah, that's as much as he's willing to def- uh, defy. That's as much defiance as he's yeah. willing to do. Right? And this is not because, this is simply because he worried for Shay. How does Varys know this? That this yeah. is a worry? And why does Varys think that, okay, he's seen this. Why does he think that if he tells Cersei this is an issue? Like the only way I can see he, this is a, a worry is if Varys knows that Tywin said that. And that seems impossible to me. 
All right, I've got a I've got a fan theory on this Excellent. that I I really like. This was an I'm gonna do a little search for an email here, um, because it was sent to me by. Ah, okay. This is from a um. This is an email that I got from a fellow named John. Basically, what John says is that he believes that Shay is a creature of Tywin's from the very beginning. And the reason why he's got this little sort of um, scene in the show that, like, maybe, maybe Braun and Shay know something that Tyrion doesn't, and it's not in the book. But consider this: Braun goes and gets Shay for Tyrion, right? Mm. And then Tyrion goes to the meal, and Tywin immediately knows about Shay. Tywin shouldn't know about Shay yet. He says, he goes out of his way to say, do not take that whore to court. How does Tywin know about Shay at that point? We know that Shay eventually does become Tywin's creature, right? Eventually, Tywin uses Shay against Tyrion. So when did that happen? And what John is suggesting is Shay was planted by Tywin from the very beginning to spy on his son. It's a really interesting theory, and I, yeah, I can't refute it at the moment. My kind of instinct always was that it was quite a late thing. I, that I was think. mine too, but I think that this this is really fascinating to me because the question is not if, the question is when does it happen? So, so your question is, uh, how does how does Varys know, right? Yeah. I mean, one one way to look at this is to say, well, he knows because he's he's got eyes at the gate of the gods, and he kind of points this out in sort of a veiled way in the chapter that there's eyes carved in the gates of the gods, and Shay kind of takes this as, well, this he must be talking about the gargoyles and the architecture or something, but. Tyrion thinks, no, what he's talking about is that he's got spies at the gate. And he knew as soon as everyone walked in who who you were and where you were going, who you're attached to. Yeah, I got that part. But my question is, how does Varys know that Tyrion shouldn't have Shay? Is it because yeah, he how, sees... how does he know that what that Tywin said, yeah. don't bring your whore to court? Of course, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just sees Tyrion hiding Shay and then just goes like, oh, well, you're hiding her immediately. I'll just find this out immediately to show you that I know. And I'm uh-huh. reading into it too much. But I kind of took it as that conversation as that Varys knew that Tyrion wasn't supposed to do this. And now he's holding this threat so that he could take it to Cersei, who would probably have Shay killed and right. revealed to Tywin. I think, I think you're right. I think that there's something about Shay that represents a weakness, just, not just because... Tyrion is fond of her. I think Tyrion would would absolutely get over Shay pretty quickly if she was dispatched. I do think that Varys knows that Tyrion's going to get in trouble in some way if if Shay is discovered. So we agree on that, right? Mm. And then the question is why? Why does Varys know about Tywin? Does he have eyes out at the battle, the end of the crossroads or whatever? Mm. Or is Shay actually a plant by Tywin? And that might explain why Varys knows this. Maybe it's even deeper. Maybe Shay is a plant of Varys's. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tywin thinks she's a plant. 
Uh, very good. Conspiracy well, it's interesting. There. In the show, both Littlefinger and Varys decide that they're going to use this character named Roz, mm. who's formerly a sex worker, but then she ends up becoming a plant. Yeah. She becomes a spy, basically. So maybe, you know, no, Roz is not a book character, right? Yeah. It's interesting that Shay, then now we're, now we're questioning, like, how, how soon does she become a spy? But yeah. Anyway, I thought that that was an interesting um, uh, fan theory by uh, by John. And uh, I don't know. Does that answer your question? If Shay was planted by Tywin, it still doesn't really answer my question as how Varys knows Tyrion was told by Tywin he shouldn't have Shay there. But I think well, I am looking into it too much. I think actually in this discussion we did kind of resolve on this that Varys just saw Tyrion doing something a bit inconspicuous by trying to hide uh-huh. the prostitute. Uh-huh. It was like, oh, I'll just reveal that. But I'm not going to reveal it to the world. I'm going to reveal it to you and hold it over you. I think if we follow John's theory, we could say Varys knows because Shay has told Varys. Okay. And I think, I mean, it would be one solution to that question that I hadn't considered until you asked, but I thought, eh, interesting. Now, here's the other thing about Tyrion, is that he's seen Varys as someone who's threatening him, because mm. he doesn't trust him yet. Yeah. He's like, ah, I, I can see, I, you're not saying it out loud, you're not saying it with so many words, but I can tell that you're trying to threaten me. So I'm in a very veiled way. I'm going to threaten you back. Yeah. Is Tyrion smart to do that to Varys? It's hard to know how much Tyrion knows of Varys at this point. Because we haven't had Tyrion in King's Landing before. Yeah. But we know that Tyrion didn't... This isn't his first time in King's Landing. and This isn't his first interactions with the small council, <laughs> right, right? right? So he probably has quite a good idea of what Varys is or what at least what he thinks he is and what he can get away with. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad move necessarily, but I do think Tyrion probably is a bit arrogant or thinks he's, he probably thinks he's got more support and more allies than he really does, which is interesting because surely he, he knows going into the small council, he doesn't really have any allies on it. Uh, He doesn't really have any friends at all. In fact, but I, so I do think it is a bit of an arrogant response to try and threaten them back. Yeah, I, I think, think he's really making the move. same mistake Ned did. I think that he's mistrusting Varys from the start. I think in reality what's happening is Varys is saying to Tyrion, I know your weakness. And now I'm going to show you that you can trust me with this information. I think that's true as well. I think that's exactly it. But he's right not to trust Varys. But I think that's about what, that is what Varys is doing. <laughs> All right. I think what Varys is doing is he's creating the situation whereby Tyrion could perceive him as an ally. I think Tyrion's perceiving it as, as a threat by Varys. Yes, that's true. And I think, I think Varys' ultimate goal is to make Tyrion an ally. And I think, I think that Tyrion misreads this situation. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable reading of that. And I think Varys... Like Varys is, didn't have, seem to have any massive benefit in allying with Ned either. And he wasn't, again, we couldn't trust him. But he does seem to do this when new people come in. He seems to try and want to befriend them. Mm-hmm. And my, the only reason I can think he does this is because he does not trust Littlefinger and does not want Tyrion and Littlefinger 
Alleyang together. So the next Tyrion chapter, he has another conversation with Varys. And he asks him directly, he says, where's your loyalty? And Varys says for the second time, my loyalty is to the realm. He said this once before. He said it to Ned, right? Yeah. Ned was in the Black Cells. So then sort of a follow-up to my question about Cersei's honesty. Do you believe Varys when he says my loyalty is to the realm? Absolutely not. You do don't? You? No. I, I do. I do, actually. You do? Uh, in the show, that's what they made Varys, that, and that, that was true. In the book, I feel like we already know this isn't true. Arius has seen him and Delirio discussing... <laughs> what they want to happen and they're annoyed that Littlefinger has started kind of war between the Lannisters and the Starks uh-huh. and it's clear that they were planning some kind of war for some reason which we find out in A Dance with Dragons because they have got their own plant they've got yeah. Egon whether he's fake or not is a different discussion and yeah, they want yeah. him to be king if his loyalty is to the realm why is he trusting it with someone that doesn't live in the realm that, you know, can you trust someone to be educated and just be taught to be a good king? Like surely if his loyalty was to the realm, he would try with Robert. He would then try with Joffrey. Uh-huh. Whereas it's clear that he's not trying with Robert. He wants to either, he's a Targaryen loyalist and wants the Targaryens yeah, back yeah. on the throne or He's got his own plant, this Aegon, who probably isn't a Targaryen, yeah. and he's got some reason for wanting him on the throne. It's, it's interesting. A, I, I can't see how any of these situations are for the realm. For the realm, he could maybe have Aegon as a backup, but if his plan was always to have a big war so that Westeros would be ready to be conquered by Aegon, that yeah. doesn't sound like for the realm. So it's interesting. All right, so one way to look at this is that... The realm is better without a Targaryen on the throne, right? The realm, the realm would be better, and I think I would tend to think that is true. Like, if you, if actually you could get someone like, you know, Ned Stark on the throne, um, that that would actually be the best thing for everyone. Yeah, you get a good, honest king on the throne. I don't think that Varys is the kind of person that that approaches politics like that. I think he thinks you need to get a good evil guy you can predict. <laughs> That's the best thing for everyone. You get a good evil guy that you can predict and and you get, you know, good evil corrupt people making alliances with that evil guy and money and marriage alliances and and the the threat of insecurity is going to keep everyone behind their walls. I think that you could look at Varys as, yes, he does want to return the realm to Targaryen hands because he thinks that a good, strong, evil king on the throne is the best way to keep the peace. Is that crazy? Well, just think about, let's say, one year before the events of Game of Thrones. Okay. Why is he planning for this eventual take over what's wrong at that point like who's the only war that's been in recent times has been balon greyjoy who uh-huh. wasn't even a threat so what's his worry is it that the kingdoms are becoming more segregated maybe the north is becoming more isolated uh, the eerie has already isolated itself a little bit uh-huh. so maybe he thinks that okay they're all just going to become factions and they need one 
uniting king. Maybe that is that could be related to your arguments why things, but it's quite peaceful. Things seem to be going fairly well. If it wasn't for yeah at the very beginning of Game of Thrones where we get the threat of the others, if everything stayed as it was, things would actually probably have been relatively peaceful. So it doesn't it doesn't seem logical unless there's been constant bickering and war. To well, okay, let's uh, let's imagine that Varys knows, and I think that this is a fairly, I think this is, I think we should just take this for granted that Varys knows that. Cersei has not sired any of Robert's children. Okay. I mean, this is Varys we're talking about. If he wants them all removed, even killed, he could do that. If he doesn't want Stannis on the throne because he's not trust because he doesn't trust them, then he knows exactly what to do as well. Like these are sm- it's a lot smaller target to remove Cersei's children uh, interesting. than it is to cause a war between at least three of the five kingdoms so that when <laughs> it, fake Egon Targaryen or real Egon Targaryen comes in with a company sells swords, there's not that much left to conquer. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. You're, you're totally right. I will say one more thing about Varys, because I, I do think that ultimately he does have the realm's best interest in mind. I will say that Varys likes to plan. He likes to plan for eventual possibilities, and sometimes he'll put pieces in place that he may use and he may not use. Yes. I think that he's prepared for every eventuality. And so just because he's positioning fake Aegon to take the throne, I mean, I, th- I think that that's what we're both assuming, right? I mean, yeah. it, it takes a little bit of reading into to see he's a, you know, he's a Blackfire loyalist yeah. or something. Um, but let's just assume that that's what he wants. I think that he's maybe got allies in every camp. And he's thinking, okay, if if it comes to that, then absolutely, I'm going to put fake Aegon on the throne. If it if it comes to Renly, and Renly looks, I, I'll probably he probably has a a character in Renly's camp that he's allied with. I think he's got allies all over the place in every different camp because he is preparing for every eventuality. So you think that meeting with Illyrio was him just sort of keeping Illyrio's motivations yep. and interest alive, but he actually didn't have any investment in it? I, I think that he has he has some allegiance. See, I don't necessarily buy the theory that he's a creature of Illyrio's. I think that he actually did, you know, he is a spy, but he's a spy for a lot of different people. I think he's like a double agent and a triple agent. And at the end of the day, he would absolutely turn on Illyrio if it, if that's what it took. I don't think that he's like, I'm going to get a Blackfire Targaryen on the throne, hell or high water. I just don't think that that's in Varys' character. He's convinced himself that the best man for the job is fake Aegon. And that's what he wants to do. But if fake Aegon goes away or if there's some some other possibility emerges like Jon Snow or something, I think he could easily jump ship. Yeah, I agree that I don't think he's Illyrio's creature, but I do think they have some they have some history that we don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think there's probably for all we know there some friendship or there's something else going on there that means that he is more loyal to Illyrio, or not even loyal, but he more he would help Illyrio more than he would uh-huh. someone like Tyrion once he gets to know Tyrion. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know for sure. I, <laughs> Neither I do think... I. I'm just I, I. For some reason, I have this. I have a blind spot when it comes to Varys. For some reason, 
I don't view him as the spider everyone else does. But maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I'm being as as, as silly as everyone else in this story. I think it, what's what's intriguing about Varus is we know his motivation definitely is not to become king. Okay, so he's one of the other characters. Whatever he wants, we don't know, but we know that's not what he's aiming for. Sure. Whereas Littlefinger, you know, it's unlikely he will become king, but we for sure believe that he thinks if there's a possibility he'll become king, he's going to try and engineer that to happen. Do you think Varys is a merman? Mm, no, I don't think that. Do you think he's a mermaid? <laughs> I also don't think that. <laughs> Do you think he's a merman? I think that's one of those far out uh, theories. It's one of these things where I, at this point, I'm not, I, I'm pretty sure that he's not, but I, I kind of lament it. I kind of feel like, boy, this would be so much better if he was really a merman. <laughs> I think one of the frustrations of uh, of Dragons coming out 11 years ago now and still no sign of the next book is as a fandom we read far too much into throwaway comments and one-liners and I think I've done this on occasion even today where I mentioned Okay, it's true, (laughs) however I've been reading these books long enough that it's almost like no word is misplaced I do think that there are there are hints and there there are layers of onions that I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there are usually the the clues lead to somewhere. That's what I that's my my point with Martin. Okay, I would be more um, pragmatic and think like what you said about Varus <laughs> that he's okay. got all these plants and he'll just choose what's going to be the best one. I think Martin is exactly the same. I think he puts these little things in there and goes, Uh you know what? I'm actually going to use that idea I came up with in 1995 that I put this throwaway line for, and I'm going to build around this now. Uh And I think he puts these in to give himself the potential to use it. So he is like Mm -hmm. the spider. He's got this web, and he's like, I'm only going to use certain strands. And I guess the other frustrating thing is that however it ends or whatever happens next, a lot of these mysteries are never going to be revealed. So like it's whether yeah, like whether Oberyn poisons um Tywin and whether Shay has always been a creature of Tywin's, <laughs> these will never ever be revealed. <laughs> well, I, I we agree. I do think I do I do not think that Varys is a merman. <laughs> but uh but I do I do want him. If I had a wish, if I had one wish, I would wish that Varys is a merman. Um, I'm going to read this this riddle because I feel like we would be yeah. doing malpractice. Yeah, I agree. If we didn't talk about the riddle. All right. So, may I leave you with a bit of a riddle, Lord Tyrion? He did not wait for an answer. In a room sit three great men, a king, a priest, and a rich man with his gold. Between them stands a sellsword, a little man of common birth, who has no great mind. Each of the great ones bid him slay the other two. So, just to recap here, we got four people in the room. One guy has a sword, and then you got three men who are each commanding that man to kill the other two. The three men are a guy that's rich, a guy that's king, and a guy who speaks for the gods. He's a he's a priest. Do it, says the king, for I am the lawful ruler. Do it, says the priest, for I command you in the names of the gods. Do it, says the rich man, and all this gold shall be yours. So tell me who lives and who dies. Bowing deeply, the eunuch hurried from the common room. 
on soft, slippered feet. Uh, you could do a number of the uh, number of things with this, but mm. um, I think it's interesting to me because it it does seem like it's become meta commentary on on the entire series. Yeah. Um. So let's start with sort of the the close reading on the face of the text. What does Varys want to communicate to Tyrion in with this riddle? I suppose Varys does kind of tell Tyrion exactly what he means by this in either the next or two chapters later. Yeah, it's it's in the next chapter. He okay, yeah. Basically, um, he says, yeah, "Power is where." Were... Go ahead. Yeah, power is where people believe it resides. Um, and I suppose he's telling Tyrion this to. I think he wants Tyrion to think about where the power in the kingdom really does lie. At least that's how I read it. He wants to say, like, you're currently here, almost acting hand. You're in control of this cell mm. swords, but mm. do you really have the power? And I think that sort of goes a little back back to our discussion earlier as to like why Varys does this, whereas Tyrion perceives it as a threat, whereas actually it's a Varys possibly presenting an alliance. I think I think that's right, and I think in that next chapter, what he says is power is a shadow on the wall. In other words, it has no real substance, right? It's it's about illusions, basically. And then he says to Tyrion, he says, "And a little man can cast a large shadow." And I think that this is Varys's way of telling Tyrion, "I think you could wield a lot of power in this city." I see that potential in you. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's how I would. Have, that's how I perceived that as well. Okay, so Varys is basically trying to create an ally with Tyrion. I think that that's. I, I think that we can probably agree on that, right? Yeah. So, all right. So basically, but Tyrion. Who is Tyrion in this scenario? Tyrion's I mean, the. I think Tyrion's the rich man, right? He's, I guess he's got Tyrion all the is wealth. the rich man. Yeah, I mean, it depends. He's. I suppose technically he's representing the king right now as hand of the king. Right. But um, I, I don't think he's. I don't think Varys is asking for Tyrion to think which one he is, and you know, here's you with Bronn, the rich man of Bronn. I think he's more just trying to get him to think about where actually is the power. Why does this current monarchy have power? What's to stop any? What's to stop the gold cloaks from just killing them all, and Janice Slint becoming king? You know, right? Well, what he says in that next chapter is he he kind of compares this to the ultimate source of Ned's death. Why did Ned have to die? Was it Joffrey that killed Ned? Was it Janice Slint, uh, who seems to think that Joffrey is the the power of the kingdom? Or was it, you know, ill and pain? Strong sword. There's something there that suggests that, I mean, you could blame Joffrey for Ned's death. Or you could blame someone like Jano Slint because he was too stupid to see that Joffrey's not the real power in the kingdom. Because what Tyrion does next is he has Jano Slint demoted and sent off to the wall. And I think that Tyr- I think that Tyrion has followed the lesson. I think Tyrion has seen... That guy thinks the power's with Joffrey. I need to get rid of him. He's the danger. All I need to do is surround myself with people who believe that I have power, and I will have power. Okay, that's not how I read that, actually. 
I read it more as that if Jenna Slint is supposed to be the captain of the city watch protecting the people and uh-huh. he follows orders to murder a baby this man cannot be trusted and this is not the man you want right. leading your city no watch. no yes i think you're right about it. i think that that's you're right that that's probably what convinces Tyrion to do it but when he's pressing janos in that next chapter about ned's death the king's a 13 year old boy what are you thinking yeah like, like what why did you know he kind of lures Janos in. You know, did did Varys even know that Ned was going to die? No, Varys, you know, Varys doesn't know. So then he kind of knows, all right, I can. I think I can trust Varys. Varys didn't know that Ned was going to die. And now I know that you're too stupid to see that the real power isn't with Joffrey. And I think that there's something about that that Tyrion thinks, if you think that the, that, that the king has power, then you are a, you are a danger to everyone around you because I need to surround myself with people who know that the King doesn't really have the power. Yeah, that is, that is a good point. Uh, it's not how I read that scene, but it, I think it is a good point. Um, and Tyrion, Tyrion knows Joffrey well and knows he's a monster. Sure. He, not, not everyone else does know this. So Tyrion is going to be more critical of people blindly following Joffrey uh-huh. orders uh-huh. and not question them. But he's been in a, a luxurious position all his life where he can question Joffrey and he can push and beat right, Joffrey. Right. Most ordinary people also, even in modern society, most ordinary people have this uh, kind of adoration. Like look in England, for example, where they just absolutely love the monarchs and you know, they don't well, even have a, real a power. Seg- a certain segment of the English level. Well, but it's a large segment. Like, I mean, look how many people queued for, like, overnight to go to Queen Elizabeth's yeah. uh, funeral, or, you know, to see her coffin. Like, this is... This yeah, is, or you could say, or you could say, look at how many people in America line up for a deranged billionaire, you know? There's... <laughs> It, it, it's it's a little different, but there's there's a similar mentality, right? I suppose. I guess the subtle difference is that like the monarchs in England don't have any power anymore, right? They're just like, <laughs> <laughs> but they're still seen as like the king well, and the queen. They do if the perception if there is a perception of power. It. Yeah, right? people in England still believe that England is like well, not everyone, obviously, but there is a sort of uh, sentiment so, of like we're an important empire, so there is a kind of respect. Right of this monarchy. And I think that's how a lot of people in firstly in the society we live in and in humanity in general behave. And that's uh-huh. how a lot of people in a song of ice and fire behave. And I think Tyrion is in quite um, a privileged position that he has been educated and brought up around Joffrey to know that, well, I don't have to obey Joffrey. Yeah. Right. 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 Okay. So, so yeah. I think we, I think we're already there, but I do think that we should use this. We should look at the meta commentary. So I think that this riddle does allow us to see something of Martin's intentions for the series. And I, th- I think we're on kind of dangerous ground if, ground if we read too much into it. But I do think that there's something about this that if Martin has, an, uh, has a message uh, that he wants to communicate with the, the goings on at King's Landing, it is this. Power is a perception game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if people if if people in the modern world believe 
that a dollar is worth a dollar, then that's absolutely what it's worth, right? <laughs> it's where do you place it's almost an it's almost a matter of faith, I think. Mm. It's like where do you put your faith? Do you do you put your faith in the gods? Because you will act accordingly. Do you put your faith in you know in a nuclear power? Well, that's how you're gonna act accordingly. Yeah, and Tyrion says in the next chapter, I think, it depends on the cell sword. So if that sellsword is particularly religious, he will go with the priest. If that sellsword is brawn, he will go with the rich man. If that sellsword <laughs> is Janna Slint, he will go with the king, right? So yeah, that's good. it depends like on the sellsword. That. And I think that's a sort of dissatisfying thing about a riddle in that there's not a right answer <laughs> that you have to come up and solve yourself. Um, but so onto the meta commentary, Martin has said before about how he, start, he, he takes a lot of inspiration from history and there's been some awful rulers who've had some, done some awful things and he's always questioning like well, why do people follow that ruler why right and so yeah. this is obviously a meta commentary and that's like where does power reside or why do people believe it or people just believe it and then it becomes it so that's definitely one um one of his kind of themes behind this book it's like you can have a great king or a terrible king but as long as people believe that that's the power then that's what the, where the power is all right uh, notable introductions in this chapter we uh, meet uh, captain uh, vilar and uh, we meet the broken anvil this is actually a major show difference too because none of the conversation with varus varus actually happens at the broken anvil it's it's Shay and Varys, I believe, in the Hand's bedroom. I think Varys ends up in like the Tower of the Hand or something like that. Um, notable departures in this sh- chapter. Not not much. I mean, I guess we could say like Cersei's short stay as Hand of the Small Council or Head of the Small Council. We see her her power to part in this episode because Tyrion takes over. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, no departures. Podrick, I, I appreciate your time. Short notice as it was. I appreciate you, your insights. <laughs> Cheers, Anthony. Good luck. And now Throwback Thursday with comic Steve Osborne. If you could choose any character in this show, Steve, any character, and you had to have their hair, Ooh, and you had to wear their hair for a year. Like that character wears their hair. Which character would it be? Which character's hair would I wear for a year? <laughs> hmm. Wow, that is a that is not a question. I thought I would. I mean, I could start going through who I, I would not. It would not be Joffrey. That's. I was gonna say, why not Joffrey? He's he's got a beautiful head of hair. I don't. I still you, understand you, this you are so Joffrey much more, hate. You're so much more you. pro Joffrey than I'll ever be. Uh, <laughs> Joffrey, you know, like you know how when you get your iPhone and then it can do all these things. It can pinch your face. It can make your face look all big. He's the pinch face filter. Look, he has a pinch face, but I'm not, I'm not holding that against him. He can't help it. He is a product of incest. Well, yeah. So I mean, I mean, so you're gonna grade him on a curve? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. Fine. As far as incest faces go, not so bad. <laughs> All right. So, you, so you're not gonna choose Joffrey's. I'm gonna choose haircut. Joffrey. Not. I'm not usually a fan of the long hair. So you're right. not gonna go with Ned. 
I'm going to go with Ned. I mean, I am a fan of the of the those those sideburns. Yeah, the Sir Roderick. But again, I I just feel like I'm you know I got to learn to braid. That's a whole thing. Did you give yourself an opportunity, Arthur, to watch any House of the Dragon? I watched all of the House of the Dragon. I was completely obsessed with it. I had a great time. <laughs> so um, you liked it. And I have, I have no need to have thoughts about House of the Dragon. I have thoughts about your thoughts about House of the Dragon. Oh, uh-oh. Um, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk about your thoughts first. Um, so you really liked it. Uh, did, just a couple things out of the way. How did you feel about the time jumps? Oh, the time jumps were great. I enjoyed the time jumps. Okay, you liked um, them. All right. Yeah, I mean, because I was, I was conscious of what the initial medium was mm-hmm. um, and how it would be, be really hard to kind of tell that story and make sure it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And the time jump was a really ingenious way to, to, to do it. And it worked well. And... God, I'm so glad we didn't have flashbacks. I'm so done with flashbacks. <laughs> okay, good. All right, secondly, uh, green or black? Black. Black, all right. And it, I mean, I think I think most people... I have not talked to many people who are green. I mean, they, are, they do exist. Yeah, I think that's your confirmation bias because... I think it probably is my... Com- I, and you know what? I only talk to smart people, Arthur. I, I, I don't know if you know that about me. <laughs> So that is true. That is uh, true. No, actually. So let, let let me ask you. All right. So you're black. Mm-hmm. In many different ways, you're black. Uh, exactly. So does so that means that you must either think that like Otto Hightower and company are so beyond the pale that your your only good option is black, or you just See. are you're willing to overlook a few. You know, mild murders here and there by the team. Black. You know, I'm no, I'm noticing a lot of greeny uh, talking <laughs> points. Well, I like I said, I only talk to smart people, and so <laughs> I I'm able to gather all that information and stand above the fray and judge everyone. I call uh, nonsense, and I have put together <laughs> reasons why Anthony is green. Um, <laughs> Oh, okay, let's let's hear it. Yeah, okay. go for it. So, um, firstly, uh, your defense against being green is absolutely littered with pro-green arguments. Um, I have three examples here. Okay. Number one is the they're all bad argument, which is a typical green argument, mm-hmm. right? You equate them all, and then you go to the greens. Um, the second argument that's very uh, <laughs> often said is, sure, Otto sucks, but Damon sucks too, right? Which is typical. <laughs> Typical okay. green behavior. Okay. Um, and the third point is that we can't judge them with modern values, and we have to consider the fictional, historical, and cultural context. Mm-hmm. Um, that, did I say that? So, um, I don't feel like that's something I would have said. No, I, you, you perhaps not said that, but I think I feel like I felt that from what you're saying. Okay. Um, All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving off the vibe. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not green. I just. But when I hear people defend black, I I can't help but like play devil's advocate and i think that that's that may convey a sense of greenness i mean i do think that they're all bad i I mean there's no there's no question in my mind they're all bad 
So, I mean, I don't think that that's even disputable, right? You did make a survey that is called, and I quote, uh, very sciencey, objective, totally mastery, <laughs> doesn't reveal yourself as green at all survey. <laughs> it's, it's true. And I don't think it does reveal me as green. Well, how about we test <laughs> that? All. Because I have the survey in front of me and I propose that um, you run through it. Oh. And we're going to see <laughs> if you can back up your neutrality with okay. actual facts. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll, I'll absolutely and take it. for the list of the perspective, this is the exact same survey that you used. For Aaron. Before. I have not altered it. So, yeah, for Aaron. Okay. All right. Very good. Okay. So. I'm ready whenever you are. Uh, did Damon say king for a day in his toast after the death of his nephew? Uh, probably. I think probably. And I don't know if it reveals much of his character, I think he's a, a creature of impulse, mm -hmm. and it could be that that's the way he was feeling at that particular moment. It uh, doesn't necessarily tell us much about like what he'll do tomorrow or what he did yesterday. So, but I'm going to say yes, which would kind of say that you know, call. I, I think that that's somewhat indicting, and so that would be a green answer if indeed. That's how we're reading the survey, right? Yes, I would say that's a rather green answer. Um, okay, all right. I mean, for the record, I, I, this is this is great out of ten. If you get above five, I'm going to say you're green. I got a four. I did <laughs> okay. say that Damon said King Friday, right. though. So, uh, question two: Was Allison right to keep her relationship a secret from her best friend? Yes or no? Mm. I think on the surface, yes. I think that uh, according to the rules that she's that have been imposed upon her, mm -hmm. the Lord of the Realm has asked her to keep a particular bit of information in confidence. I think she's right in terms of following the laws of the land, and, and is she right in terms of like being a good friend? I think not, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say she's right, and I think that that again that leans green. Yeah, I this is I All think right. this is a, a case of split loyalty in this case. Um, yes, I, I would go I would go no, but uh, we'll see. Question three is is Otto correct when he says that Rhaenyra's coronation will result in civil war? Yes or no? I think. Here's the problem with this one. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to say yes, which is, of course, is also green. Yes, but I think he's going to be one of the main sources of the Civil War. So it's like saying, like, um, you know, if if you go to the dance, you're grounded. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of like, <laughs> yes, that's the consequence, but then I'm going to be a, a chief. <laughs> You know, like, as your parent, I'm going to be the one doing the grounding. So I think that there's something along those lines where it's like, yes, of course, they're going to go to civil war because the realm won't accept a woman. But Otto is going to absolutely be one of the major players in the conflict. So while that might seem like a green answer, I, I really think that it might also reveal Otto as someone who is a warmonger yes right? so i think i, I think that's know. a very blackish caveat and actually that's my that's my biggest annoyance with team green it's that there's a sense of well you know this is inevitable 
you can't you can't say yeah. civil war is in- inevitable and then divide the kingdom in two. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. But yeah, very very astute observation for sure. But I will note that so far, one could read every single answer I've given as green. So far. yes, yes, they could. Um, mm. Did Damon travel to the Vale intending to kill his first wife? I'm gonna say no. Oh, I did not expect that one. I don't think he means to kill her. I think he. What's what was her name again? Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> Unfortunate, because that was. I really was excited at the beginning of that episode. Oh, cool! We're gonna see what's the politics of the veil. And nope, we're just gonna see mm-hmm. someone get killed. My reading of this is that he did travel by stealth. Right? We didn't see a dragon fly overhead, mm-hmm. so that. That reveals some kind of nefarious intent. He was wearing the yes. murder cloak, which, you know, of course, that could have been his manslaughter cloak as well. We're not sure. <laughs> um, so my feeling is that he smells like dragon. Mm-hmm. When he when he walks closer, I do, I do think he wants to talk with her, although he says nothing at all. I don't know why I have this view, but I feel like he's trying to calm the horse. I think the horse is freaked out because the horse smells the dragon. Horse bucks her, falls, and he's going to walk away. I really do think he's thinking like, well, I guess that conversation didn't go how I thought it was going to go. And then he decides at the last minute she needs to die. So I don't think he intends to kill her. I do think he kills her. There's no doubt about that. Um, so I think that that answer leans black. It does. That's your first black answer, I would say. Okay. All right. Um, although I'm, I'm like not that author or director's intent in this case is everything. But do you think the intent was to tell the? Because uh, I think it's a good theory. The whole dragon smells like dragon, but that to me feels like a internet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a canon that doesn't feel to me like what actually happened because as much as i well i feel like he's all right number one i feel like if you put a hand out like that to a beast i you like universally that gesture toward a horse means that's true calm down i'm okay calm down so and then of course we know that people who ride dragons smell like dragons mm-hmm. and that that was established in the first episode mm-hmm and here's the most dragony guy on the show. So I I don't know why the horse bucks like that. And that's the only thing that I can come up with. No, I think that's um yeah, I I I think that's that, that might be correct. I mean, I said that I thought he he definitely travels the veil to intend to kill kill his wife. Okay. I went on my red green answers. So that's interesting. It, interesting. Okay. Um okay, question five. Did Renera lie to Alicent in the Godswoods about her night with Damon? Yes or no? I'm gonna say no. Okay. I think on the on the surface, what does she say? She denies that they coupled. She says she did coupling, yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. I'm gonna say that she does not lie. I think she intends to deceive with the truth, but I don't I think that that's different than a lie. Okay. We've got two black answers in a row. Um, mm, okay. Next question is similar. Did Renera lie to Rainus about her innocence in Lenor's death? Again, she's innocent of killing Lenor because he wasn't killed, right? Right. 
so the, I think define, again, define lie, I think she's right? using yes, she's she's not telling the whole truth, but she's certainly not lying. Okay, okay. Um okay, I said no to both of those as well. So um and all then, right, but all right, so I'm I got three green and yeah, you three are, black. Is... You are now three three. Yeah, yeah. You do, right, you've started okay. off very green and then you, you calm down. <laughs> Um, okay. As if you realized what you were doing, and then, no, no, no. I mean, leal to the end. Um, did Alicent kill the maid servant that was Aegon's victim? Yes or no? I'm going to say absolutely no. She did not kill the maid servant. I think the maid servant is has been spirited away and drinking Dornish red on a beach somewhere. Yeah. I would tend to agree. I I was surprised when so many people were so convinced that uh, that she did. But I guess that that wasn't the majority opinion. But yeah, I would agree. I don't think she did kill that maid. That doesn't feel like she it did. Fits I in think her character. Why, why go through all of the motions of trying to convince her? I mean, mm. she's certainly complicit in her son's abhorrent sexual assault. I mean, mm. that doesn't necessarily make her a good person at all. I'm just saying that. According to what I saw on screen, they're giving her tea. I'm imagining that's moon tea mm-hmm. to to make sure that the girl does not get pregnant. They're they're sort of laying into her to keep the secret. Mm-hmm. Why do all that if you intend to kill her? So that that's right. that's how I read that. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, was Veyman justified in his accusations of Rhaenyra's children? Absolutely, he was. <laughs> I need to. He was foolish. He was. He was. He was. A, he was a damned fool. Because <laughs> there's no way he walks out of that room alive. But yeah. um, no, he's the only one in the room that's saying, was stating what is obvious, right? So yeah, okay. Yes, he's justified. I would. I would disagree. Um, and I've. <laughs> okay. I've heard many few people say this, but I. I think he is not justified because. I think his uh, brother and his nephew have made it very clear that they consider these people their sons. And they, they've probably said this to him in, in private. He knows that's their intention beyond the pressure of the Targaryens or whatever, right? So that's what they genuinely believe um, because they don't care, right? These two people don't care for mm. reasons that are completely different. So who is he to come in once they're both out of the picture? And try to put himself in power when that was their wishes. I mean, you can adopt someone. They didn't. Yeah. Right? But I mean, I'm just saying that's that's what they wanted. And he's going against what his own leader of his house wants. I mean, the argument that you're making is you need to... The right thing to do is the thing that's best for the overall family dynamic. Right? Yeah. The, the lord of the house, Everyone, everyone's willing to live with the lie. Who are you to upset the apple cart? And I, my point is that that might be the best political move for the present. But in the long run, it means that the actual biological bloodline will end. And, the, and, the, and Driftmark will actually now flow not through the lineage of the, the um, Valerians anymore... And so you're talking about ending a line. And so I think that Vaymond has the long view in mind. 
Okay. So I think both in terms of the short term, is it actually factually true? Mm-hmm. Yes. Also, long term, will this will this lie actually have long term consequences for my family? I think the answer to that is also yes. Okay. Um, that that that's how I would respond okay. to that. I want to note that I think that that was a that was a a blackish answer. That that was a was it a blackish answer to say that Veyman was justified in accusing Rhaenyra's children? Well, because I'm putting Veyman, I'm I'm putting usual, all of the Valerians on Team Black. Oh no, I would say accusing Rhaenyra's children of being bastards is awful green of him. Um, <laughs> And he was okay. in cahoots with the Greens, trying to keep uh, yeah, but I'm uh, saying, our favorite all right. character under the milk of the puppy. Uh, all right, okay. I mean, that's okay. fine. That's I, I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> okay, uh, cahoots is a great word. Uh, Amond uses the term wastrel of his brother. Uh, which of the mm. following different definitions of wastrel describe Aegon better? A wasteful or good-for-nothing person, a neglected child, or mm-hmm. are both definitions accurate? Yeah, I think that both are accurate. I think that the show is playing intentionally playing with ambiguity. Mm-hmm. I think in this way, the show means to like they trotted out an old timey word, and it could just be like to set the mood for the the story. But I think that they're trotting out a word specifically that has a dual meaning, and I think that both definitions could work. I think he does view himself as. A neglected son because his father doesn't love him um okay. so anyway that that's how i would read that no i think i think um i think you're you're correct in the sense i don't think his father loves him i i wouldn't i wouldn't say he neglects neglects him but um that's a very olive answer of you so uh, that's in line <laughs> with with your statement but you have, i've got the final question here which is okay what did allison say after she calls Agen an imbecile does she say uh you imbecile do your duty or does she say, you imbecile, of course I love you, or just you imbecile? Hmm. Yeah, this is going to be a cop-out. I'm I'm sorry to say that I think that this show do, does not give us that information specifically so we can entertain both answers. It's like Schrodinger's matriarch or something. Mm. I feel okay. like... I, I feel like it, the... Amp- Whatever answer is the most ambiguous is the right answer. She okay. she says the she possibly says both. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say you said she's I'm gonna put you down as you and Bissell do your duty because I feel like that's the middle ground between just you and Bissell and you you and, you and Bissell. No, you can't. No, I that's, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. You're saying I need, she intended one. I'm saying that that her intention is totally opaque. Hmm. I don't know how to interpret that, and as I'm, it's really hard to interpret that within my quiz in terms of logistics. This is making well, okay. Bit. Then I'm gonna here for the sake of the quiz. I will say yes. Do your duty because I think that's initially what I thought. Okay, and, and, I've, I mean, and that... I've rounded out to the more ambiguity. I've rounded at, leaned toward the ambiguity in retrospect, but my initial reading of the scene was, you know, you imbecile. And then it cuts off, and then she says something along the lines of, you know, what does that have to do with anything? Do your duty. You know, this is a silly question. You know, that kind of thing. That's how I was reading it at the time. 
Okay. Yeah. And I think I, for, for questions, I give you either one point if it's fully green or zero points if it's fully black. Um, and I feel like I'm giving you half a point. Um, okay. <laughs> so you have, you've had out of 10, you've had six points, uh, which makes you a 60% green, 40% black. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel because very you got... olive. I feel like this is, I feel like I've come off very olive in this. Yeah, you've come off olive. Because an olive is more green than it's black. So I think. And I, think I will say, as an olive. Italian, I approve of <laughs> Team Olive. I had the exact same percentages the other way around. I was, for, I was 40% green, 60% black. Oh, interesting. <laughs> well, that's enough for you and I to go to war for sure, right? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> On the internet, that's uh, that's the end. <laughs> <laughs>